Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah, a registered associate nutritionist and your favourite crazy bean. Full of Beans is on a mission to reduce eating disorder stigma and increase eating disorder awareness. Together, we will establish inspiring conversations with a range of individuals, including those with personal experience and their loved ones, as well as clinicians, researchers and charities who are all working to increase the understanding of eating disorders. Using my personal battle with atypical anorexia and body dysmorphia, as well as my Masters in Eating Disorders and Clinical Nutrition, we will together explore the experiences of like-minded individuals who are equally as passionate about sharing their stories to increase the understanding of eating disorders. Please note that this podcast discusses sensitive topics and should not be seen as a replacement for evidence-based therapy or treatment. Today I am joined by Sarah Barron, a PhD student at Cambridge University. I met Sarah through competing as a powerlifter and Sarah has also competed in swimming and bodybuilding since a young age. Sarah joins us today to share her experience of weight categorised sports, her recent ADHD diagnosis and how all of these has all of these aspects have impacted her experience of having an eating disorder. Hello Sarah. Hi Anna. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Yeah, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. It's nice to finally be doing this. I feel like we've had this planned for so long. <laughs> yeah, it's doing great though. I've been listening to your podcast and it's fantastic. So yeah, congrats on that and I'm glad to be here. Thank you very much. Lovely to have you. Um, so just to start us off today, um, I know like we've spoken before about both of our experience of eating disorders, but just for the listeners, I wondered if you wanted to give kind of an overview of your experience of how your eating disorder developed and sort of where it went um, went from there. Yeah, so um, my eating disorder, I experienced it around the age of 15 or 16. Um, and I suppose obviously it's very multifactorial and it's very individual for everyone. Um, but I suppose the main trigger that I can kind of put it down to was that I had an injury. Um, so from a very young age, from like seven until 15, um, I was a swimmer. So I swam, you know, sometimes twice a day and it was just my thing and I loved it. Um, and I had an injury to my knee and I basically, I had to have surgery. It was very, very imminent. I had to have surgery straight away. Mm. Um, and I had to stop doing all kinds of sports, all kinds of activities, um, and kind of like learn how to use one of my legs again, essentially. Um, so I think for me, that was like the biggest trigger. And for me, it wasn't just losing my exercise. It was kind of losing my sport as my identity and kind of my purpose and my way to also manage kind of difficulties mentally. So to have all of that just suddenly taken away, um, I think I just had a massive loss. And um, that's sort of what triggered it. Yeah. And I think, um, I think, unfortunately, that's so common, isn't it? I think we often can kind of identify ourselves as one thing. Um, and interestingly, we spoke about this on last week's podcast as well, in that it's so important that you have so many things that make up yourself you know not just your let's say your sport that you do or I think some people would be their job or whatever it's so easy to get entangled into okay this is my thing that I do and that's the only thing I do 
but then when like you say when it's then lost um it can be really difficult so I guess like you know when you had to stop the swimming because of the injury is that when the eating disorder sort of took hold Mm, it was sort of in um so yeah kind of after the surgery and the rehab and you know things things were going very slowly and I was like in hospital for a bit as well um it sort of stemmed from there and I think from that point you know you experience something quite difficult and all the other things that you've kind of leaned on also are taken away from you and Mm. um I think in school you're never really taught how to manage stress or really deal with difficult emotions and I think the eating disorder kind of manifested through an inability to communicate that with the world and I think often people think that when you develop an eating disorder um you kind of feel very out of control and it's a way to control things. But actually for myself, it's kind of the opposite. Like before I had my eating disorder, I felt really in control. You know, I had good grades. I had good friends. I had this sport. And then all of a sudden that was taken away. And the eating disorder actually provided me with comfort and safety um, that I couldn't find anywhere else at that time. And then actually as the eating disorder progressed was when I felt the most out of control. You know, I wasn't in the driving seat anymore. And the eating disorder took over my whole life. So, for, yeah, for me, it was kind of kind of the opposite to maybe what people might traditionally think. Yeah, I think the um, addressing the topic of control is a really important one. And I think we've had quite a lot of conversations on the podcast about often people say eating disorders are, you, it develops because you want control. And I think for some people, it is the complete opposite. Like, I mean, I think for most people, they think you know that the the idea stems because they think it will provide them control actually it's always that the eating disorder is in control and you're completely out of control but for some people it's not even about the sense of control um it's about so many other things I just wanted Mm. to ask as well um and this might be you know I'm going to start with a big question at the start of the podcast but you said about um, I said to you like oh when did your eating sort of start and you said like for you you can think back and to the trigger was the um, knee operation um, and I know we will probably come on to sort of the um, characteristics of eating disorders later when we're talking about sport but do you think that how do I say this do you think that regardless of what happened to you you were already predisposed to have an eating disorder and therefore another event might have happened and you'd have got it or do you put it down to you know I had the the injury I you know I couldn't then train and that's why maintenance sort of happened it's mm, a really good question I think yeah I mean obviously you don't just wake up one day and you have an eating disorder I don't think there's ever I say it was like the main trigger that I can pinpoint it to but I definitely say that it's not the only thing that caused it um it's very multifactorial and yeah I think I think, I mean, it's a trigger, right? It's a catalyst. So yeah. this thing happened, but then it kind of like unleashed a massive storm of like difficult experiences and like kind of rather than exploding, I kind of imploded and all of these difficult things I've experienced in the past and maybe stresses I was going through at the time, I kind of took that out on myself because I didn't really know how else to deal with it. Um, yeah, and I definitely think... Um, that later on down the line you know if I hadn't have gone through it then and kind of increased my self-awareness and understanding of my personality and maybe difficulties I've had in the past that you know like it 
probably would have happened at some point. Um, and now in a way I'm kind of grateful it happened because now I know how, how I, I act in situations. I know my personality, I know myself very well. And now when something difficult comes up, I know my coping strategies. I know how I can deal with things much better now. Um, and so I think a lot of people say, you know, it's, these things are always, you know, they're so horrible and I wouldn't wish anyone to go through them. But then when you come out the other side, you know, people always think you come out of it with so much more self-awareness and you can kind of put a positive spin on it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I genuinely couldn't agree more. Like you say, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. But like you said, I think it has it does make you a stronger person um you like you say you become so much more kind of self-aware and stuff I just wanted to kind of go back to um I guess your story and with your, your swimming and stuff like that so you said that um you know that provided you sort of that was your identity and kind of you know that when that was then gone that was when you struggled so how long a time was there between the swimming was the bodybuilding something that came in order to kind of be another identity for you yeah so I mean the bodybuilding came in a way as I was kind of restoring my weight um after I was quite ill you know I wanted to put on weight and I, I was like interested in learning about nutrition a bit more and kind of healthy ways to exercise and initially it was a way for me to yeah I guess get healthier um and and channel some of that energy into something a bit more positive so rather than destroying myself I was trying to then improve myself um so yeah it stemmed from that um and I don't remember the next part of your question (laughs) (laughs) Um, no it's just basically asking does did the bodybuilding provide you another sense of identity do you think that's why you started yeah I I think I think in a way it did provide me with some sort of identity but also because I suppose sport was the only thing I knew so yeah I guess it is identity it was like a it was like who I was and um I love sport I love training but then there's always two sides to the coin right I think my eating disorder had a love-hate relationship with my sports because on one hand it was a way for me to be healthy but then on the other hand you know there's lots of different ways that eating disorder thoughts can kind of creep into other areas of your life and at the time I thought I you know I was being super healthy like I was eating really clean in quote marks clean (laughs) eating really clean um training really hard but then in hindsight you know there's this term now orthorexia which isn't like an official diagnosis but it's a term that I can really relate with because you know you're kind of just channeling that disordered eating into something else um whether that be another sport or another another diet or like another way of life um yeah so to answer your question I think I probably I probably was seeking another form of identity Mm -hmm. and do you think that the I I mean I think it's quite common I'm not saying it happens to everybody but I think people can transition from the sort of um I don't think you've actually said this in the podcast but I've spoken to you before and I know that you had anorexia um but I think it's it's quite common for people to go from the anorexia to then having the orthorexic tendencies because like you say it's it's almost a camouflage of oh well you know I'm eating 
clean quote unquote um because that's really good for me or like you know I'm I'm training because it's healthy to exercise or whatever and it's very easy to mask those sort of behaviors because they are normalized in society um so do you think that's sort of what happened with you was it was that transition mm, I definitely think it was a transition period um I think you go through lots of different phases of transition and as I was saying that I was thinking of like evolution <laughs> I think you kind of like evolve out of your eating disorder and and so I, I think every time you kind of like evolve a little bit more you become more self-aware and you can quickly you can more quickly understand when you're falling into you know traps again so I think as the years have gone on and as like I I kind of transitioned through sports as well I've kind of realized when things are happening realized when my thought patterns are transitioning um and kind of can stop it a bit more in its tracks mm. um yeah it's interesting you actually mentioned like I don't have a problem with saying that I had anorexia but I just realized that I never said that <laughs> I think in my mind I'm kind of always I kind of like to generalize eating disorders a bit more because I don't really want to put it into any sort of buckets or I, I think sometimes that can be a bit unhelpful um so I suppose yeah I think it's, it's sometimes a bit more useful to say just eating disorder in general yeah no it's and not, I apologize about, for yeah. no no, no it's fine. No, I think it's a really good point I think we are it is something that's done very often in the clinical setting is that we do put somebody into a bucket and say okay so you've got anorexia therefore you've got these characteristics and this is the treatment or you know you've got binge eating disorder but I sort of see it as eating disorders are a spectrum and you can sit anywhere. So it's, it's sometimes, I think for some people, it can be helpful to have the diagnosis and the terminology, but for others actually, you know, where they necessarily sit on that spectrum is completely different to maybe where they've been put as their diagnosis. Mm, yeah, definitely. So after your bodybuilding, you went into powerlifting which is where we met very excitedly. Um, and I don't know whether you've got the same opinion as me on this, so I'm quite interested to talk to you about it. Um, but I wanted to ask about the impact of powerlifting and kind of the role that that played in your eating disorder recovery, whether you thought it was a positive or a negative one. Mm, again, I think it was a transition and like an evolution uh, <laughs> in my eating disorder. But I think so again it always stems from like I don't know I think you have quite an innocent mindset and the same way in which when I transitioned from anorexia into bodybuilding I was thinking you know I'm doing this really healthy thing I'm putting on weight um but still then it was very restrictive and you know it was very focused on body image when I looked into powerlifting again for me and like my innocent thought process was that you know this sport isn't about your body image you know you don't have to restrict a lot um it's going to be really good maybe I can put on some more weight and not have to worry about being super lean um and it was it was for a while like I, I was putting on weight um in a healthy way and I was in, like my health was improving um I was getting stronger and I loved that you know you could eat to fuel your sport it wasn't about the how you looked or you know how lean you were so that was in that way it was good for I suppose my body image but then again <laughs> other kind of negative tendencies start to creep in and like negative thoughts. And um, I guess for those of you who don't know, powerlifting is, uh, it's weight categorized. So, you know, you have to, you have to fit into a certain weight category. Um, 
And I think then often people can then use that as an excuse to become restrictive again. So around a competition, maybe if you're sitting a little bit heavier than your weight category, you just have this kind of almost excuse. You're like, oh, I I have to get my weight category. I have to fit into my weight category. Rather than going up to the one above, you want to go to the one below. And then you just start again with the restriction. Um, And so I think, yeah, it it can then snowball again into kind of a a negative mindset, a negative spiral. Yeah. And um, I mean, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I think, I think it's, as you said, it is definitely a transition and I would definitely agree that I used it as a transition for myself from having then eating disorder it was then powerlifting but I think you go from eating disorder to then disordered eating and I you know I've got such vivid memories of like trying to cut my weight because I had to be a certain weight category and I did really bizarre things I really manipulated my water intake my food intake And I just look back and I think, okay, if I was a professional, maybe, but where, where I was sitting as, as, you know, it was like a a university competition. It maybe there wasn't the need, but like you said, because of those sort of characteristics of that determination and the competitiveness that comes along with having an eating disorder, that was then brought into the powerlifting and I don't know about you but one thing I really struggled with which I definitely saw was brought over from my eating disorder was comparing myself to everybody else I would go to competitions and obviously like even if you're in the same weight category as somebody everybody's weight and like everyone's shape is different and I would then spend the whole day of the competition thinking about how people looked or how I looked rather than the weight that I was lifting and that should have been the focus I was there to like hit pbs and everything not not to be thinking about how I looked Mm, yeah definitely I definitely agree and something you mentioned um as well was about you know we're at university level and we're not I mean you know we're doing good things and we're improving ourselves but we're not at the elite you know Olympic level that kind of really elite level and I think it just reminds me of um you know basically the whole nutritional and like supplement industry is like yeah these things really make a difference if you're in that top one two percent you know you're an Olympic athlete it's going to make the difference but then trickle down to the general population like all of these this whole market it's really not going to make that much of a difference to the average person. It's really about just getting, you know, the essential, the essentials um, training and getting, you know, the, the macronutrients that you need. It's, you don't really need all of this, all of this really. Yeah, no, absolutely. And also, you know, I think I, I can't speak for other weight categorized sports of, you know, um, whether there's the same sort of, I feel like I've met a lot of people along the way that have started powerlifting and then you know it's come out later on that they used to have an eating disorder so it is sort of like a a mask again um similar with the orthorexia as we were talking about but I don't think that we necessarily consider the physical effects that that's going to have not necessarily a weight cut because that's some, that's often a short-term one, you know, for, for a powerlifting competition. But I wondered, you know, if, if we could now talk about sort of the physical effects that you putting yourself through like a bodybuilding cut or just like generally restrictive diets overall, the impact that that's then had on you like medically. 
Mm, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean, because as you said, it's all very well if if you're just doing this short term. So, you know, one to two months in a bodybuilding competition or even three months where you're cutting down your diet quite considerably is fine in the short term, but obviously it's not sustainable. And similarly with a power lifting competition, you know, if you're spending, sometimes even people do, you know, a few days out or a week out, they start, they can manipulate their diet enough to get them into the weight category and that's fine short term. But then on the flip side, it gets very dangerous if, you know, you have that mentality of I'm never, I always want to be in this weight category or I always want to be this lean. You never have that kind of off season or off period where you're actually growing and increasing in strength and size. If you're always thinking I've got to be this weight, I've got to be this shape, I've got to be this lean, it's really damaging for your body. And I think it's a really, it's a really difficult mindset to be in um, because you, you, you don't even realize it. Um, and yeah, it, it can be very, very dangerous for your body. And I mean, I don't know, do you want to talk about like the different physical symptoms I experienced? Absolutely. Or- yeah, if that's okay with you. Yeah, sure. I mean, obviously, um, I mean, during anorexia, that has a, a, a really, yeah, it's, it's, it's very damaging for your body. And I mean, I remember one of your podcasts before you were talking about the unicorn syndrome where, you know, you think you're invincible and, you know, almost like nothing bad's ever going to happen to you because, I don't know, you just don't believe it for some reason. You never, and it's the same with, you know, COVID now. I mean, people don't really realize how serious it is until they get it or like if one of their family members get it and they're like oh wow this is this is a really big deal and it's the same with eating disorders like until you experience it or someone in your family experiences it you like you don't really realize the full impact of it um so yeah with anorexia I mean um obviously amenorrhea or losing your periods that's really common and the reason this can be dangerous um for anyone but especially women is that you're not having the correct amount of hormones kind of circulating in your body and for example estrogen is really um, important for protecting your bone health Um, so another consequence can sometimes be that your bone density uh, can decrease and then you're at an increased risk of things like fractures and breaking your bones Um, even you know just simply tripping up you could break a bone which isn't so good Um, in terms of my mood like I was just not a very nice person to be around and I know many other people say this as well like you just I mean you you, you barely have energy to survive let alone be pleasant <laughs> um <laughs> so yeah I mean it takes a massive hit on your mood um I couldn't really sleep either because you know if you're hungry you, you struggle to sleep um and I think I don't like to use the word regret because as I said like these things happen for a reason and I think you know now I've learned some really valuable lessons and and made many many different good friends but at the time I I really wish you know when you're 15 16 17 18 19 20 in your 20s like it's supposed to be about partying and like making memories and having fun with your friends and I think you know part of me looks back and thinks like I wish I just had that time to make memories Mm -hmm. make um you know hang out with my friends and like not have to struggle with this difficulty Um, And then I suppose that also leads on then to things, well, your mental health condition. So um, I was also diagnosed with anxiety and panic attacks Um, and then eventually depression as well when I was kind of in the midst midst of it. Um, But fortunately now, now my weight's restored and I've had some psychological support. Like most of those, those mental health conditions have pretty much disappeared. So I think it's really 
important to know that they're reversible and the same yeah. with the physical side effects like all of these things are reversible um but they it is very dangerous um so it's definitely not it's definitely not a place you want to be in at all no and I think it's really good that you kind of touched on all the impacts of eating disorders there and not just the medical I mean obviously the medical ones are very scary um but sometimes I think they can be like too scary if that makes sense but because Mm. they're so scary like you said people are then like well it just won't happen to me um and I think actually hearing your experience of you know I regret not being able to go to a party or stuff like that. I often think people can relate to that more. Um, obviously, like I'm not saying let's like the medical things we need to talk about because they're really important. But I think that missing out is, mm. like you said, the, the the medical and the psychological symptoms. If you get support early and you get that intervention, they can be reversed. But those memories they can't be you can't get them back um and I think so I'm really glad that you that you brought that up as well yeah and it's definitely something I always think about now because I mean you know there's never a perfect recovery and you know I still have my days when I struggle and still have disordered thoughts and things like that but I always just come back to the thing you know if like god forbid you know I was in an accident or something or even if like I did live a long healthy life and I was like in my bed you know on my deathbed when I was like 90 or something like I would just hate to look back on my life and think like it was a waste you know I just spent all that time not that it's a choice because it's not it's a serious Mm -hmm. mental condition but I would just hate to not have made all of those memories with all of my loved ones you know that's the thing that's the thing that's always drive me you know if if I couldn't do it for myself if I couldn't manage to get better for myself it was just this thought of having all of my loved ones suffering and you know losing my friends and family like I didn't want that so for me that's a massive driver just doing it for my loved ones and for making those memories yeah and I think I mean like you've said I don't it's not a choice but I think you know recovery is something that we can engage in um and we it does have to come from within to want to recover um but I think I would agree with you wholeheartedly that initially when I recovered the you know for me I experienced I know not everybody does but I experienced sort of those eating disorder thoughts and every thought was telling me do not recover because you it won't be better so I had nothing inside me that actually wanted to get better but in that time I just thought my mum and dad want me to be better and if they want me to I just have to trust that they kind of know what is the best for me because they have done my whole life so like you said I think if you can find an external factor when everything internally is saying you really don't want to do that um then that is really important Mm, exactly yeah and it's strange because when you're in that mindset like you said you kind of get very defensive and you know these people around you like your parents you know your friends and family like they love you and they want you to get better and I find it so don't know just just so backwards that you think that they could be trying to harm you and Mm -hmm. I just try and remind myself now that you know if I ever have a bit of a moment like you know these people are here because they love me you know they're not doing anything to to damage me so you know you've you've got to take you've got to take their word as fact if you can't if you kind of sort of doubt yourself yeah I think that's something I've definitely been thinking of recently in terms of um you know sort of 
I did a post on it the other day about like, do I want to recover? And I just think, you know, if you are in the depth of an eating disorder right now, I'm going to assume that it's not making you happy. If somebody's giving you a light and saying that there could be an alternative option, just try it. Because ultimately, you know, if you're not in, if you're not in a position now where you're happy, then you could potentially be. And if you're not, when you recover, then you've done it before. So you can just slip back into it if you want to. And I know that's probably not a great way to think about it, but actually just try into it, engage in recovery. You probably are going to be happier. Um, but just in terms of like, we already spoke a little bit about um, characteristics. And I think sometimes we can be kind of negative towards the characteristics that predisposes to an eating disorder. But I just wanted to ask you, like, do you think that sort of some of the characteristics that do mean that you are predisposed to having an eating disorder, do you think they helped you in your sport and in just general life, I guess? Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, you know, I think your personality traits do feed into the eating disorder, but then equally they, in, in the right doses, <laughs> they can have, <laughs> you know, like a positive impact on, on your life. Um, so I guess just like a few things which I've kind of identified in my personality. Um, it's kind of like the all or nothing thinking or like maybe perfectionism, if you want mm-hmm. to put it in that way. Um, but it's sort of like, you know, you give something a hundred percent or nothing. And I think like in my sport, that really helped because I would, you know, I'd be there at all hours of the day, you know, training early in the morning, late in the evening. And I would give it like a hundred percent so that I'd leave nothing to chance. And, you know, it's, it's just the same with every area of my life, really, you know, the same with studying. And um, again, with the eating disorder, when, when I was in that place is, you know, that's, that's kind of your everything and that's your identity. And, that was kind of all, all I had at the time. And that was what I gave everything a hundred percent. And as well, pushing your body beyond your limits. So, you know, when, when I was competing, you know, county, national level, you have to push beyond your limits, like completely. I mean, you think you finish, there's no more fuel in the tank, but you've got to keep pushing for that extra time for that extra PB. And the same with powerlifting, you know, you have to believe and you have to be able to push beyond your mindset. And that's really important for sport but not so much when you're in an eating disorder or or like you're in a mental health uh, condition because pushing beyond your physical limits, you know, where is that going to lead to the hospital? You know, it's not good, but it's good in a sense, if you flip it to be ambitious, you want to achieve, you know, getting to where I am now in my PhD and everything like that. Like it's good on one side, but in, you know, in the right amount of doses, uh, in the right dose, sorry. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think I, I completely agree. I always say I don't think I'd have got this far with anything that I've done if I wasn't such a passionate person. But like you say, it's it's taking those characteristics and putting them into something positive. Um, mm. And, you know, that's great. But, you know, maybe eating disorders, it's not it's not the positive that we need. Um, and kind of going on from that, I don't know whether this is going to be the same characteristics or not but um I know recently you were diagnosed with ADHD do you think that did is that something that you think kind of those the characteristics around that predisposed you to an eating disorder or is it something that now you look back on and think oh that makes sense as in things that happened because of your recent diagnosis Mm, yeah so I've had a lot of uh 
I don't know. I don't want to say a midlife crisis because I'm only 25, but <laughs> a quarter life crisis. Um, a quarter life crisis. I like it. Yeah. So no. So yeah. A couple of months back, I was, I was diagnosed with ADHD and dyslexia. Um, and I think for me, like as soon as I mean, because you have these thoughts in your head, you know, like as in my whole life, like I felt like I've not quite something's not quite right. And it's more in the the way that I process things. Um, the way that I process information and maybe just how I behave around people is just like not societally normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think as soon as I got that diagnosis, I think I just suddenly, I felt like a weight had lifted off my shoulders. And even though I had kind of recovered from my eating disorder, I still had it as this identity, like it was still part of me. And I think once I had this diagnosis, it I felt like I could let go of that eating disorder identity because this made so much more sense to me um, mm. and it made so much more sense um, to my identity and and how I've kind of related to the world um, yeah and I think definitely all of those characteristics and kind of personality traits I mentioned above I think do link in with this diagnosis a lot and I've had a lot of like time to reflect and still researching a lot about it <laughs> um, but definitely so for example things things like not feeling like I fit in or this this kind of like core self-belief that I'm not good enough I'm like Mm. why can't I do these things like I'm not good enough I'm not worthy like I'm struggling um now when I reflect on that I think yeah this is actually really accurate in school like I was struggling a lot and I you know I would have to do things multiple Mm. times and it would take me longer to understand things than my peers and it's funny because people always tell me like oh you're so organized or like you're so quick at learning things like you can't have a problem but actually they didn't see what was going on behind the scenes like when I went home to do my homework I was working so hard all the time and people don't see that side of it <laughs> so I, I was I was working hard and obviously this perfectionist trait as well like I wanted to do good and I didn't want to let this thing that I was struggling with like pull me down so I would work like twice as hard you know give it a hundred percent or even more um, and then eventually that just led to me burning out um, in kind of a most extreme way. Um, but I think, I think it all definitely links in. And I think some of the kind of coping mechanisms to deal with these difficulties, I mean, for example, anorexia and the eating disorder was a a way for me to kind of channel that, that core self-belief that I just didn't have (laughs) basically. Yeah. So do you think that the uh, sorry I, I'm just trying to like understand what you said so do you think that it's sort of like the ADHD characteristics that led you to have poor self-belief and then you you sort of used anorexia to like navigate your way through that is that what you're saying? I think definitely I think definitely these kind of challenges I've had with dyslexia and ADHD have definitely been a contributing factor to mm. developing an eating disorder I just in, in my recovery and kind of a psychological therapy, we never, we addressed the core beliefs for sure. Like, you know, not feeling good enough, but I never really got to the bottom of why I believe that. It, there was never anything in my life that I could kind of, you know, stem it on or that it made sense. But then now on reflection, like now I've had this diagnosis, like, and especially going through the assessment, I don't know if, if anyone listening will have any idea what that's like, but it basically feels like you're back in school, you know, in like year three or four and you're doing all these spelling tests and like comprehension tests. And it just literally took me back to when I was in school 
at that age and I was like really struggling and it felt awful I felt like I wanted to cry and like I felt all those core beliefs like I'm not good enough like I can't do this like why is everyone else able to do this and I can't do it um and so I think some of the core beliefs which led to my eating disorder definitely there's definitely an element of that which which was from from these difficulties I was having with ADHD and dyslexia Mm. and I don't know whether you'll know the answer to this but you just said like you've done a lot of learning and stuff is it something that you've come across in research that is quite common to have that link Mm, actually I did a lecture on this to some students at wow college tell us all I think um (laughs) I think you can spin it like everything that's like non-neurotypical I think you can spin it on its head and think of them as superpowers I like to think they're superpowers because although you have these difficulties you also have some other really cool stuff that you can do that no one else can (laughs) so for example um like hyper focusing people think ADHD is a problem you can't focus on anything like but it's actually a problem that you can't regulate your focus so Mm -hmm. you can't necessarily choose what you focus on (laughs) but you know if you if you if you get really focused on on one particular subject like maybe it's science or, or whatever or maybe it's a problem you're trying to solve like you're so focused on that 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 you can get really good at it <laughs> um yeah so I I think you can you can spin them on the head on on the head and and make it into a superpower um and I like to think that that although they 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 have been struggles or led to some struggles um they've also they've also helped me a lot in what way do you think they've helped um can I just have some time to think <laughs> Of course. <laughs> um, I did write some notes. I'm just looking at them. It's absolutely fine, don't worry. I don't really know how they felt. Let me think. Okay. um so I think again always going back to the self-awareness thing um but for example I mean dyslexia is not just a problem with spelling right it's a problem with like processing language as a whole so that's like speaking writing reading like understanding what people are saying and trying to articulate your speech as well so it's quite difficult but my um my visual memory and my visual learning is like incredible so you know, I noticed this reflecting on when I used to revise for exams and things like I would always make them super colorful. I would draw like words didn't really make sense to me or listening to the lecture back didn't really help. But then if I drew it or made it colorful, like I could remember it so much easier. And so you can kind of through that self-awareness, you can kind of use those skills to your advantage. So now, like, I know that I have a visual memory um, that's really good and I can use that to my advantage. And another thing is like, I know that I find organization and time management really, really difficult. So I can put things in place that will help me. And so taking that, I, I color coordinate everything. Like I have, I have a planner, I have like a notebook and I can use that in a way that helps me. So it's kind of like identifying where your struggles are and like how you can put in practices that will help you achieve or even like achieve beyond um, what you thought you could um and to answer your question about like if 
you know, in science and research, if anyone struggles with these, it's actually, I wouldn't say common, but you know, like famous, famous names like Albert Einstein, Darwin, like Thomas Edison, like all of these people now, you know, it's, it's been shown that they actually, they had ADHD and or dyslexia. Um, and sometimes even things like schizophrenia or, you know, there's something like not quite neurotypical about these like amazing people. And it's not to say that whether you're neurotypical or non-neurotypical, it doesn't mean you're any better or worse. It just means that, you know, it's not a disadvantage. Like you can uh, like harness your superpowers <laughs> uh, and, and like make it work for you. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I suppose in some way, I guess, knowing, you know, knowing that um, you're better at some stuff that you are than others. It's like you said, you can tailor things to meet kind of your best qualities. And then you can like the world's your oyster, if you know that. Um, So I, I personally think it's fantastic. And I want kind of the question I meant to ask before was, is there is it known if there's a link between ADHD and eating disorders or is that something that's they're unsure about or do you know at yeah, all? Yeah, so it can, I, I've done a bit of research because <laughs> um, I was interested <laughs> in this as well. And I mean, generally, you know, it, it can be a way for people with ADHD to, to develop an eating disorder, but it can kind of go either way. So generally with kind of like the hyperactive impulsive side of ADHD linking that to food you can be quite sort of impulsive and and as well if you find things like time management quite difficult or if you're hyper focused on something you might like forget to eat or even forget to drink and it's gone hours before you've even had anything so then when you come to eat you know you're you're super hungry because you've forgotten to eat and also impulsive so you start to eat something that tastes really good and then you don't really have those kind of like stop or control hunger mechanisms kind of quite balanced so in that sense things like uh you know binge eating or um overeating could become a problem but on the flip side if you if you've kind of like been able to mask your symptoms and that just means kind of uh, developing mechanisms that make it less likely people will notice a difference you could then have all this internal conflict and like feelings of loss of control and burning out and like trying to do too much because you're trying to keep up with everyone. And in that sense, then restriction could come in and anorexia because, you know, you're trying to control the situation. You're trying to navigate these difficult feelings and emotions and kind of you're quite stimulated. And then that could also link to things like anxiety. So I think it depends kind of which, uh, which kind of symptoms you have with ADHD mm-hmm. and you know there are lots of different types there's like the attentive type there's a the hyperactive side there's the impulsive side but I think it can definitely link in link into eating disorders um, and the medication also if you choose to be medicated with ADHD which is also uh, a possibility which can help you to focus there's also side effects from the drugs so again things like appetite control it can reduce your appetite it can uh, affect your digestive system so that's another thing to consider um and potentially that could also then lead to an eating disorder if you're if you're on this medication so it's very individual and it depends on your symptoms and everything but I, I think there's there could definitely be a link yeah absolutely I think what you have just demonstrated there unfortunately is that eating disorders 
like you said at the start, are completely multifactorial. And I don't think that we can sit here and pinpoint, okay, so you've got this, therefore you're going to get an eating disorder. If we could do that, what a great day that would be because then we could just put prevention in for everybody that had that particular characteristic. So, you know, I think it's great that we're determining all these links and everything, but equally it just kind of adds to the difficulty of, well, there's just another thing that, could you know potentially lead to an eating disorder which I think that's why it's so great that we're having conversations and people like yourself are so open and honest about their experience um so thank you so much for sharing everything um I've got two questions that I want to ask you for like the just the end um so the first one is if somebody is listening and they resonate with what you're saying or you know they're listening because they think I think I am struggling with some form of disordered eating what would be your top tip or your best advice for them to gain support I know it can be difficult for some people um you know if if you don't you might not think you have anyone close, but I think the the biggest thing you could do is just try and talk to someone. So, you know, whether that be reaching out to a friend or a loved one or GP or even someone like a personal trainer, um, just anyone you could find or even even online. There are online uh, support emails and chat rooms, um, which Hannah will link you to. Um, <laughs> just Yeah, I think just talking and trying to reach out for support because... Although it comes from yourself, uh, recovery comes from yourself, like you can't do it alone, like you really need, you really do need support. So yeah, although you can do it, you can't do it alone. So I think reaching out is really important. Yeah. And I really like the fact that you kind of expanded there on who you can reach out to, because I think, you know, not everybody does have somebody in their family or a friend that they feel comfortable talking to. But I think there will always be somebody that is there to listen to you. Um, And like Sarah said, I will put the links to um, different services in the comments below. Um, And then my other question is, Obviously, it's fantastic that we're here talking about different people's experience. What do you think is the next step that we need to take in order to raise awareness about eating disorders? Because I think it's it's great having the conversation, but I still don't think we're reaching people that we're actually trying to reach because the people listening to this podcast will be people that are already interested in raising awareness. Yeah, that's so true. I think I think really it starts from like when we're younger I mean I always think I always think back to my school days and even in high school you know we just had no kind of support or education on how you can manage your stress or even how to revise or different ways to revise or yeah just different even just mental health problems like what is a mental health problem how do you deal with emotions like you know all of this type of thing I think really it would be fantastic if we could teach this as early as possible. Yeah. Um, even things like starting mindfulness or meditation, you know, yeah. kids who are like five or six, they can just sit and listen to their breath and kind of tune into their body. And I think it's really important, you know, to start kind of at a younger age. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great suggestion. And I think sometimes people are like, they're fearful of doing that because they think, oh, well, what if we give people a mental health problem? Well, I think being open and talking about it people are a lot less likely to develop something in silence 
um, and not feel they can share it. So yeah, I think that's a great suggestion. Thank you so, so much for joining me. Um, I've really enjoyed going through everything with you. I feel like I kind of know your life story now. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, so yeah, thank you for being so open and honest and hopefully people listening will really be able to resonate with you. No problem. It was a pleasure. I enjoyed that conversation so much with Sarah and I loved her positivity regarding how she had been through difficult times with her eating disorder and you know there was a transition from her eating disorder to bodybuilding, orthorexia, powerlifting but now she just uses the quality that she's developed and it's made her a stronger person and I think having that sort of mentality is really special. Next week, we'll be joined by Pippa Richardson, who is an embodiment teacher and writer. She is the creator of The Girlness Project and the yoga and body awareness therapist at Ori. With Pippa, we discuss sex, intimacy, connection, somatic therapy, your parasympathetic, your sympathetic nervous system. Honestly, it's jam-packed full of incredible information and I'm so excited for you to listen. But I think kind of involving the partner feels really important um, and just reassuring everyone that we can still find ways to make contact um, and, and create intimacy. It might be that sexual intimacy isn't a priority. And if, if you're someone who's on the opposite end of the spectrum and engaging in kind of promiscuous sexual activity, then, then we need to think about, um, you know, what's the impulse underneath that? what am I what what is driving this behavior what's underneath it if you enjoyed listening today you won't want to miss next week's episode so be sure to subscribe to be one of the first to hear it please also like comment and share this podcast with anyone you feel that may need support at the moment not only those struggling with eating disorders but also their loved ones as this can be a very difficult time for everyone Eating disorders are crippling illnesses and this podcast aims to motivate and inspire individuals along their path of recovery. If you are struggling with an eating disorder, charities like Beat, Seed and First Steps have great resources. Please also reach out to your local GP to see how you can gain support for your eating disorder. See you next time. Bye!